this is Pastor Brian's sermon. You know, it's fantastic. Um, but there's no props up here, so I don't really know what to do. <laughs> um, when I was doing the sound check earlier, Pastor Jake said, where are your props? And I was like, this is Pastor Brian's message. I don't know what people do. How do you just get up here and preach? But that's what I'm going to do today. So you have your notes uh, in your bulletin. All right. Um, also today, do you have this where it says 37 miracles of Jesus? Do you have that in your bulletin? Is there like a two page note? Okay. Don't miss this. We're going to talk about it in the sermon, but at the welcome center, we put a stack of these. There are 37 miracles of Jesus and this lists which gospel it's in and what the miracle was. So if you are uh, right now, you're looking for a way to study each week, you're looking for a way to do, we would call that devotions. This would be great for you. Okay. This is a great study on the miracles of Jesus. So let's get started. Pastor Brian says, it's so good to see all of you today. Okay. Which he is. Hello, Pastor Brian. Hey, can that top camera, can you kind of swing so we can all wave at Pastor Brian? Everybody turn and wave at, at Lisa up on the top camera. Hello, Pastor Brian. Sorry you have cooties. Okay. <laughs> So we're three weeks into the I Believe series uh, where we're looking at reasons behind our faith. I know faith doesn't need proof, but if you're like me, remember me is in this sermon is always Pastor Brian, okay? Um, you like to have some background for uh, why you believe the things that you believe, right? A lot of us are like that. For example, back in college, the first time around when I was learning about respiratory therapy, this is so Pastor Brian, okay, because that's not me at all. Um, I would often just want the facts first. Just tell me what I'm supposed to know, and then I'll look backward and try and figure out how I got here, why it's true. Or when I was a new Christian, I wanted to soak up as much knowledge about Jesus as I could because I had faith that Jesus was who he says he was. But if only I could get just a little bit more foundation for my faith, that would really help me out. When I first started school to become a Nazarene pastor, I was scared to death to read any book that wasn't published by the Nazarene Publishing House. Remember, Pastor Brian didn't grow up Nazarene, so that was a new thing for him to learn all these things. I knew my Nazarene filter for theology wasn't fine enough. I needed someone to say, hey, this is what Nazarenes believe, and then I could go back and figure out why they believe that, okay? So Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is what we accept through faith, right? But why? This is what today is all about. If you're here and you're trying to figure out, uh, this out for yourself before you commit yourself completely to Jesus, I completely understand that. In fact, Pastor Brian says I understand you a whole lot more than I understood Jesus when I first gave my life to him. Or perhaps you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and you believe he died for your sins and you believe he can forgive you and does and you want to know it. So today is for you. Will we answer every question that you have? Probably not. But it's our prayer that if there is a part of you that wants to discover some evidence behind your faith, you came on the right week. You're listening on the right week. Will you open your Bible um, or Bible apps? It's also going to be on the screen. There's a Bible right in front of you, too, if you don't have one with you. We're going to look at John, the book of John, chapter 20, verse 24. Now, um, uh, he says it's uh, three-fourths of the way through the Bible. It's the third book 
Nope, fourth book in the New Testament. I don't really need to read that. I actually knew that. But um, uh, if you're using that Bible, it's at the top of page 1053. Nice, nice cheat notes. This is good. Um, Otherwise, there's a table of contents. Now, please know most of us have used a table of contents. Lots of us for many years, me included. Okay, so don't worry about if you're like, I don't know exactly where that's at. If you do use the table of contents, don't get confused because there's actually four Johns in the Bible. You want plain old John, not first John, second John, third John, just John, okay? All right, so uh, we're looking for the big number 20. That's the chapter, little number 24, that's the verses. So let's go. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12. What 12 means there is the original 12 disciples. Thomas was in that group. Was not with the disciples when Jesus come back, came back. So. This is post-Easter. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected, which means he's come back to life out of his own power. He appeared to all of them except for Thomas. Where was Thomas? Chick-fil-A? I have no idea where Thomas was, okay? But he wasn't there, all right? So, verse 25, the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord now. Stink, right? Can you imagine missing out on that? You just step out for a few minutes and when you come back. They've literally seen the risen Lord and that's what you missed. What a bummer. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas specifically, put your hand here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I need to be honest with you. I would have been Thomas. I get Thomas. I would have doubted. I would have wanted proof because dead people don't walk around. Dead people don't come into the house and talk to me and my buddies. But here's the purpose of today. Like Thomas, it's our prayer that either you or those you'll share this information with will say to Jesus, my Lord and my God, I know you are real. I know you are alive. No one has been as influential in human history as Jesus Christ. No one. Uh, You might make an argument for some like Napoleon or Gandhi or Lincoln or MLK, but all of them pale in comparison to the overall influence. There is no one that tops all influential people lists except for Jesus. But because of this, there has never been a person alive whose life has also been more scrutinized. Some people have concluded that Jesus was a liar who deceived thousands of people when he was alive and millions, maybe even billions more after his death. There are others like me, like Pastor Brian, that have looked at the evidence and realized that Jesus is in fact the son of God, that he is Lord and I believe in him both spiritually and intellectually. Most of the population, though, has taken kind of a middle ground. Most people believe that Jesus was a great man, he was an outstanding teacher, but they still deny that he was God. And so perhaps the most common response to God is apathy. And although 
there are almost 8 billion people walking the earth today, and although Christianity is the most common religion in the world, roughly two-thirds of the population do not call themselves Christian. Most of these people are not denying the personhood of Jesus, but the deity of Jesus. So they're apathetic towards him. I think that is most people... I think that if most people that don't follow Jesus were asked why, they honestly might respond that they just haven't given it much thought. Before we get into the reason why Jesus is the Son of God, let's quickly talk about why people don't believe this. People have rejected Jesus from the beginning of his life. Jesus was once in his hometown of Nazareth and was reading from the book of Isaiah when we read prophecy and he's reading it about himself. So picture this, Jesus in his hometown and he's reading this, these verses. The spirit of the Lord is on me. I wonder if he kind of even pointed to himself because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when he was done reading, he closed the book, probably rolled up the scroll when he was done reading. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled. It's kind of the original mic drop. And then he like walked off, right? Some of the people marveled at him. They were like, what just happened? But in verse 29, it tells us what happened at the end of the day. They got up, they drove him out of town. They took him to the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. There are less people on earth that believe in Jesus than those who do not. So why? Let's take a look at your notes. Why do people not believe in Jesus? Number one, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in God. Most people fail to accept Jesus as the incarnate God because they reject God himself. If God doesn't exist, then the logical conclusion is to not believe in his son. It makes no sense to them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, if God is dead. Perhaps this is a totally different sermon, why should we believe in God? But for today, let's just say this, matter needs a maker. Life has to have a life giver. Design needs a designer. Intelligence needs an intelligent creator. Morality needs a moral law architect and the supernatural needs a supernatural explanation. God has to exist or every human philosophy or scientific theory falls flat. Eventually you get to an origin of everything that cannot be explained in any other way except God. The second reason most people don't believe in Jesus, um, in the Jesus of the Bible is number two, they don't believe in the Bible. It would be futile to believe in the supernatural nature of Jesus as depicted in the Bible if you don't believe in the supernatural inspiration of the Bible to mankind. Most people believe there was a guy named Jesus that lived, they just don't believe in the Bible. So therefore they can't make that connection to Jesus. If the source is incorrect, then can we trust the ultimate theme of the Bible? And that is salvation through this man, God named Jesus. Well, hopefully you're here last week when we were already covered the impossibility of humans to get everything right concerning history, the present, the prophecies. If not, go online and catch up. It's all archived there for you on our website. By the way, I did that this week. 
because this is number three in the series and I haven't heard number one and two and I thought that might be helpful. So I went and I listened. Um, you can do that through the website. You can also do that PFN Connect app. Um, and it was even an uh, MP3, which I have no idea what that means, but it was on there. And so when my phone turned off, it didn't turn off. It's like magic. Okay, so if you haven't heard some of those sermons, they're all there for you. It's super helpful to start building on your knowledge of this. Okay, so it's called the I Believe series and you'll find it right there. So if God does exist and if the Bible is his word, then what evidence does the Bible give for the deity of Jesus? Or is Jesus actually the son of God? So let's resume where we left off last week. Let's look at the evidence of the prophecies. So the first part of the Bible tells us about the life of God's people before Jesus shows up on the scene. Part of the Bible was written by men that were prophets, meaning they heard directly from God what to tell his people. Some of the time God chose to give them prophecies about his son that would come true in the future. There were things to look for, reasons to believe that Jesus was the one. Last week, we mentioned that someone smarter than me and Brian figured out that the chances of even one of those prophecies that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem was 300,000 to one. Then this team looked at eight more, <clears throat> excuse me, of the 456 prophecies and concluded that to fill just eight would be one in 10 to the 17th power. They figured out that if you covered the entire state in silver dollars, two feet deep, marked one single silver dollar, sent in a blindfolded man to walk anywhere he wanted in the state, reached out and pick up the right coin, he would have the same chance to do that as the prophets had in fulfilling those eight prophecies. In other words, thanks to Pastor Ben, who is also a fellow math nerd with Pastor Brian. It literally says that in the sermon. I didn't add that. If every person that has ever walked the face of the earth could live multiple lifetimes, we would have to live almost 10,000 lifetimes to reach the number of people to make it possible to find someone else that would fulfill eight prophecies. That should be proof enough, but let's go deeper. The same team look at 40 more prophecies, total 48, and refigured the chance of one person fulfilling 48 of the 456 prophecies. Let me put it in this perspective. If you took this number, covered the state of Texas with this amount of silver dollars, and if you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you 10 to the 65th power years to reach the top. So here's what it looks like if eight prophecies are fulfilled. There's gonna be a screen with the 10 and a bunch of zeros, and here it comes. I believe, there it is. Okay, okay, that's, that's the, okay, that's if eight prophecies are fulfilled. No, no, do, that's actually if 48 prophecies are fulfilled. So that's even more zeros. That's if eight prophecies are fulfilled. Look at that, we could do that, right? Compared to the other one. Uh, Jesus fill, fulfilled minute details of so many prophecies, it is mathematically impossible that anyone else could have even come close. So let's look at a few of them, okay? The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's in Micah 5.2. Do you have these in your notes? Okay, good. In Isaiah 7.14, he would be born of a virgin. Psalm 89.3 says he would be a regal monarch and Isaiah 53 agrees and a suffering servant. He would be betrayed by his friend, 
That's in Psalm 41.9. For 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11.13. He would come into town riding a donkey, Zechariah 9.9. And be buried with the rich, Isaiah 53.9. His clothes would be divided up by casting lots, Psalm 22.18. His attackers would pierce his body, Zechariah 12.10. But his bones would never be broken, Psalm 34:20. And even though he will die a physical death, his body will never experience decay. Psalm 16:10. That's amazing to me that all that's in the Old Testament. 400 so so the Old Testament's written for years and years and years. Then in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. There's no prophets, there's no more books of the Bible written, and then we have Matthew when we start with the genealogy of Jesus. So all those years, all these prophecies are written, 400 years of silence, then Jesus, and he fulfills all of these. That's remarkable. When all these pieces of the messianic puzzle are put together, there is only one man that stands out as the only person to fulfill every single one of these and hundreds more. Yet still to this day, people suggest that Jesus manipulated things to make it appear that he was the Messiah. Even though most of the prophecies were well beyond his control, how do you decide when you're gonna be born, right? Clearly, in light of the evidence, the only rational conclusion is that Jesus is the real Messiah that was written about hundreds of years before his birth. But if that were not enough, we need only to look at his life to reach the same conclusion. Because Jesus performed miracles. Even though his purpose for coming to earth was to save us from our sins, we would find that in Luke 19.10, who else could confirm his identity as God by performing miracles except for Jesus? 100% God, 100% man. Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, once sent two of his disciples to Jesus to inquire if he was the coming one whom the prophets spoke about. Jesus responded by pointing to the people whom he had just miraculously healed and said, go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus wanted them to know he's the real deal. And he is doing exactly what the Jewish people expected the Messiah to do, perform miracles. Unlike others that performed miracles miracles through God, Moses, Elijah, those guys performed miracles too. But none of them had claimed to actually be God until Jesus. Jesus did do his miracles through God because he did them because he was God, right? We can't forget that. He was 100% man, 100% God. His miracles were performed to drive both the truthfulness of his message and also his divinity. He was God. Later, we will see some of the apostles perform miracles too, Peter and John, but they did miracles to prove their message about Jesus. So it all points back to Jesus. Jesus even told a group of Jews once who inquired about whether or not he was the Christ, I told you, Jesus said, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. I and my Father are one. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. John, one of Jesus' best friends, 
writes this to close his gospel, um, his book in the Bible concerning Jesus. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So we have record of this many miracles, but right there he says, and we saw lots of other stuff that nobody wrote down, okay? Um, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If Jesus were some charlatan or skilled magician like I've heard, we would expect him to perform, perform one or two marvelous deeds. But we instead find the gospel saturated with a variety of things Jesus did that are well beyond human abilities. He healed with the touch of his hand in Matthew 8. By word of his mouth in John 4, he didn't even touch the person. He just spoke and the person was healed. A woman was healed after touching the fringe of his garment in Luke 8. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. The paralyzed got up and walked and the dead came back to life. But he isn't done. The water turned into wine in John 2. The storm stopped in Matthew 8. He walked on water in Matthew 14. A fig tree withered and died at his command in Matthew 21. And at least three people were raised from the dead. That doesn't include himself. We've already talked about this, but if you want to know no other proof that Jesus was God than the resurrection of Jesus, that was the climax of all the miracles The Apostle Paul said that Jesus is to be declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Over and over again, the preachers and apostles that wrote the New Testament point to this one event to prove the deity of Christ. No one else was doing such feats, and no one has since. As far as I know, everyone who has died since is still dead. There has been no other resurrections. But there are other proofs that Jesus, the man, was Jesus the God. There are other feats that no man has ever done prior or since. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. If you came to our Monday, Thursday Seder meal, um, God instructed the Israelites to sacrifice a Passover lamb, and he said it was to be without spot or blemish. This means it had to literally be perfect. Not lame, not diseased in any way, only a perfect sacrifice would be acceptable. And as our Passover lamb, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Peter would write about Jesus that we cannot be redeemed by corruptible things like silver or like gold, but only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His enemies tried over and over to catch him in sin, but they, as well as many critics since, have failed to come up with a single time that Jesus did wrong. Not one of us in this room can make such a claim to be sinless. Not even the best people in here. And there are some really amazing people in here that I've gotten to watch my whole life. And from the outside looking in, I would say that person's like sainthood, right? It doesn't even matter the age. Because I know some teenagers that in my mind are saints. They're making decisions for God every day to be obedient to him. So the age doesn't even matter. But no one in this room can claim to be sinless. The Bible tells us that all have fallen and and fall short of the glory of God. Who else but God himself could actually live an entire life sinless. But Jesus was not only sinless, he actually forgave sins. So Pastor Brian wants us to think about this scenario. Let's say that you murdered your neighbor. 
Um, he lives in Lake Knowles, so just a heads up if you live out there, okay? <laughs> I know some of you have thought about it. He says, woo, just kidding. Um, you killed your neighbor, and right before you die, you come to me and confess. And I tell you, yes, you're a murderer, but don't worry, I forgive you. What weight would that carry? Absolutely nothing, right? It's meaningless. What right do I have to forgive you of your sin? None. I have no skin in the game or authority to forgive you. The only people that could forgive you are the person that you hurt or the person with actual authority to forgive. When four friends lowered their paralyzed friend through a roof so they could get him close to Jesus, he healed him. But before he did, he said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious folks that were there absolutely freaked out. They said, who can forgive sins except for God? And Jesus said, exactly. Friends, if a man has the power to make a paralyzed man walk again, he also has the power to forgive sins. Only God can do that. So this morning we get to decide, right? We get to decide what's, what's Cheryl's opinion, what's your opinion of this? Uh, do I believe Jesus is who he says he is? Was that enough proof? Uh, did that help you to reason through logically that he is who he says he is? Remember, faith is a hard thing to measure, right? It's a hard thing to say, okay, I want you to have faith in that. But all of us are people of faith. I walked in here this morning and I sat on this front pew for the 8.30 meeting to make sure everybody knew what they were doing for the service. I didn't even get underneath that pew to make sure that it would support me. I just sat down. I had full confidence that, that was going to hold me. I didn't check to make sure there was enough oxygen in this room for when all of us came in that we would all be able to breathe freely. When I went and got in my car, I pushed my button. I don't even have to put a car in my, or a key in my car now. I'm so cool. I pushed the button and the thing started. I fully thought it would. I'm so grateful because I would have had no idea what to do if it didn't. So I'm a person of faith, right? I just have to decide what I'm willing to put my faith in. This is a pretty good case for Christ. This is pretty remarkable when you hear about somebody who has fulfilled all of these prophecies that were hundreds of years before he was born. You know, the people who say he could have manipulated that, he could have a few of them. They're probably right. But they're not right 456 times. <laughs> and the amount of miracles that he did, including raising himself from the dead and staying alive, uh, that's just hard for me to, to argue with. I will tell you years ago when I went to college, I did not say to be a respiratory therapist. I say to be a school teacher and a scientist. So I have a major in elementary education and a major in science. And this is the kind of stuff, man, that just was so, I was so grateful that the Lord showed me over and over and over again in scientific research that he is who he says he is. So today you get to make the decision for yourself. I know many of you, and I know that many of you have made this decision. Are you living fully into the fact that you're serving Jesus Christ? 100% man, yes. So he knows exactly how you feel about stuff. He's been through many of the same scenarios you have. So those nights when you feel lonely and when your heart is heavy, Jesus literally knows how that feels. He's not just being sympathetic towards us, he's being empathetic towards us because he knows how it feels. But he's also 100% God. 
He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our trust. Are you living like that today? Are you living like he's 100% God in your life? So today's a great day to make a decision for him. And we're going to pray in just a minute. Man, it would be such a privilege to lead you in that prayer. But today is also a day for you to say, you know, I'm known about him. I, I believe that he is who he says he is. But I'm not really living that out. <laughs> the, God is not changing my life day after day. God is not transforming me into something new. If you look exactly like you did last year, I'm not talking about weight or hair color or anything like that. I'm talking about your insides. If you look exactly like you did last year, where's the transformation? How has God changed you? How has he given you more hope and more peace? How has he caused you to change habits that you should not be doing or to start habits that you should be doing? If transformation hasn't happened, that's what you're praying today. Lord, I'm going to trust you to transform my life. And then I'm going to say yes the next day and the next day and the next day when you show me this thing that I know good and well I can't do in my own power. He's good at that. People that say he won't take you uh, beyond what you can handle, it's not true. He takes us there all the time because I need him there. I need him there. Uh, None of that was in the script. So (laughs) we're going to pray together, okay? And you know the Holy Spirit's talking to you right now. So you listen to him, okay? You listen to him. Let's pray. Daddy, today is a is a great day. <laughs> it's a great day to know and trust you. I'm so grateful for the time when I made this decision. And all the times after that. <laughs> so, so when I was 17, I made a decision that I, I not only believed that you were who you say you were, and I not only had given you my sins, but I gave you all of me. And that was in an instant, and I'm so grateful for that. But then day after day, week after week, year after year, since that time, you have shown me that you are trustworthy, that you are who you say you are. Lord, I want so desperately to look more like you. So when I look at last year, this time, and this year, this time, I see so many ways that you've transformed me, that you've changed me. And it's all because of your power, because I could not do it by myself. And so I thank you for that, Lord. And today I ask my friends, if you never made a decision for Christ, maybe you've thought about it, you you really do think that Jesus probably was the son of God. Today, I pray that you would take that step of trust, that step of faith, and that you would say, Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. And I believe that you, in your own power, are resurrected and alive today. And I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to help me to live for you. Would you save me today? Would you redeem me today? Would you reconcile me to God today? Would you be my best friend? Lord, I will forever see that three-year-old friend say, Jesus wants to be my forever friend. Thank you, God, for that. So I thank you for each person that prayed that right now, wherever they are, whether they're in this room, whether they're at work, whether they're in their home, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer right now. And God, I thank you for the folks who are thinking right now, you know, I have made that decision for Christ, but I really am not that different from last year. 
I don't, I don't handle myself that different from my friends who aren't Christ followers. Oh God, would you be so real to them right now? Would your Holy Spirit just be so near to them that they would know that you're calling them today to trust more, to believe more, to recognize that you as the God-man came for them and that they can um, live a transformed life because of you and your Holy Spirit, the power that you empower us to make better choices, to live better, to, to live according to your will. So I thank you for each person who's praying that right now. God, I thank you for this information because I need it. I have people in my life, Lord, right now who would say, I think Jesus was a good man, Cheryl, but I don't know as I believe that he was God. Oh, Lord, would you give me courage and opportunities this week to share this information with them? Because, Lord, I want to help populate heaven. <laughs> I want the kingdom of God to grow and be bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what all of us are praying together for. These 500,000 Nazarenes are praying that you would increase our influence, that you would help Jesus and his love to permeate our communities. And so help us, Lord, to do that very thing this week. We thank you in advance for the opportunities you're going to give us. So today, Lord, we celebrate you. We thank you for being exactly who you say you are. You are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, and you came to earth as such an incredible gift for us, sacrificing yourself on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Thank you for that truth. Help me to live into it this week. Help all of us too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming to church today. It's so great to see all of you. Have a good week. Don't miss your opportunity.